0: Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. So, um, I, I'm excited about this message today because it's, uh, you get to learn, imagine this, I don't usually like to talk about myself or use me, myself for examples, but um, I, I am a beautiful and complicated person, all right? And um, I have weird things that I do, and um, like, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a cle- yeah, I'm a clean guy, all right? Hygiene, big time clean. Spatial stuff... I, it's random like my computer bag. I have like a bag within a bag to keep all my stuff in I like to know exactly where it is. I keep everything clean I would like to know where my wallet is and my keys if my kid takes my keys <laughs> if My kid drives my car uh, and I'm like Cole. Where's my keys? He's like, Well, I don't know My mom must have took it. I'm like no I saw you with the keys, right? Um, and I like them in the same spot and I will I will hunt them down and find them under a blanket and then go put it on my shelf I'm meticulous when it comes to that. But then there's other things I just could care less about. And this is what drives my friends and my wife bonkers. Um, For example, um, we have a gas grill that we just don't use. And so I rolled it to the end of my driveway and I put it right at the end of my driveway um, and forgot to put a free sign on it for like a week. And I'm like, oh, I probably should like, you know, I put a free sign on it. And then one of my kids' friends ripped it off because it'd be funny. And I saw I'm like, oh, I should probably do that again. And it sat there for about two months. And to my neighbors, they just thought, oh, this is where Sodder keeps his gas grill at the end of the driveway. And I drive by, I'm like, ah, man, it's it's dirty. It's gross. It is not like, it's not, it's not like a toilet that has like flowers growing out of it. You're like, that's weird. But I get it. This is just a gas grill. Finally, after two months, I'm like, all right, I'll be a responsible homeowner. So I bring it to the side of my garage. And then somehow, probably because there's raccoons living in it, it flipped over. Now it's in the middle of my yard, upside down, with the wheels pointing to the sky. It's been that way for, I don't know, three weeks. It's not like I don't see it. I walk by it every day. And I walk by and I'm like, oh, man, I should probably do something about that. And I'll get my car and drive away, right? And I I don't care. My neighbors drive by and say, well, this is what the Sodders do. They just, like, are horrible people, right? And I'm like, oh, fine. But if I went to... Uh, let's say I went to Mike's house and I'm driving by and there was a gas grill in the middle of his yard and it was upside down pointing up. I'd be like, what phone number do we call to get this man arrested? How, who, is there a line for like psychopaths and report, right? Do I have, where do I call for that? Because I would judge you big time, right? And because we have this idea in our head uh, of like what makes something like good, what makes someone successful, what makes someone like um, did you guys hear that? Oh, it's the. <laughs> I'm like, did I forget to do like turn the music off? If you're watching online, there's a concert or something happening outside. Um, I am now way off. I was talking about Mike being a psychopath back at it. All right. So, um, we, we can, we, we can judge people and based on that judgment, we can de- determine if they're good And we don't say it out loud, but if you say someone's really good, you're also implying there's people who are not like that that are just not as good, right? And we do that through judgment. We do that through our bias. Example, I'm driving one of my kid's friends home, and he's a a great kid. Um, Would you mind shutting the door, someone, please? Thank you. Oh, Jeremy, I could've just asked you You're right by the door. (laughs) I look look on the opposite side of the room. Can you guys walk as far as possible, please? Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, So I'm bringing my kid's uh, friend home, and he's a great kid, and and, um, we're on the road, and I look, and there's this huge, beautiful home with rolling landscape, really, like, nice lawn, and in my head, I didn't say this out loud, in my head, I'm like, there's no way that's his house, right? Because I know this kid, and so I'm looking at all the other houses that are smaller, more like mine, I'm like, okay, and he's like, oh, it's the second one on the left, and I'm like, of course, that's his house, and in my head, right, I'm like, wow, this Kid and his family, and I caught myself. I'll say, are really good, they must be really successful based on a house, right? You've ever done this before? And I caught my bias right away. <laughs> and it was, I was driving home. I'm like, why do I think that someone might um, be better than me based on the size of the house or how they keep the yard? They did not have a gas grill at the end of their driveway, so I'm clearly better. So, um, but it got me thinking of how easy it is to move in our culture, in our neighborhoods, and, um, uh, and look at our bodies, think of the school we go to, what kind of car we drive, our intellect, what we listen to, what we don't listen to, and associate being good or better than someone else. And like, I'm just not interested in that anymore because that's what leads to um, a, a toxic culture. This can lead to violence. This can lead to a radical exclusion, right? When you say, well, anyone who looks like me clearly we're the best, right? Anyone who votes like me, anyone who believes what I believe, if anyone thinks or laughs at the same jokes as I do, we put ourselves up. This is like how we got Christian nationalism, right? Of saying, well, clearly, I, I saw on Twitter, someone said, uh, well, well, God clearly wrote the Constitution. I'm like, well, yikes, because I don't think God believes that people of color are two-thirds of a human being, Right? Like, we, they can take something they love and something they believe and something that's um, important to them and then put it and cover every single thing, and that does not help. And this is the very reason that Jesus came, that uh, we like to rank people. We have this way of ordering. We have this way of determining what's human and what's really kind of not human. And Jesus shows up and says, like, Jesus didn't show up to, like, Aria to get you into heaven at some point in the future, right? Like, Jesus showed up for us to experience heaven the kingdom of God, the full life in this space, in this body, in this breath. Because he says, he says it a couple times. You've heard it said, which is like a like a cue, right? Of like, hey, get your brain activated. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And what he's referring to is there was this Levitical code um, because they had to know what in the world's going on. Because they came out of generations of slavery where they weren't human. They just were dispensable. They were there to make other people money. And all of a sudden God shows up leads them into this exile, and now they're like, well, what does it mean to be human? Like, if you take my bowl, do I like, burn your house down? I don't know how this works, right? If you uh, take my grain, do I get to, like, take your children? I, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm brand new to this whole living thing. So God, uh, God gave Moses this law that said, hey, if you do this, this is how you respond, which is weird to us, right? But for back then, for them, this is incredibly progressive, This is mind-blowing because now they have a roadmap of this is what it means to be human on purpose. Now, Jesus shows up and says, hey, you've heard it said. Then he goes, and let's maybe, I don't know, reimagine. Let's like maybe like evolve. Maybe we could transcend. Maybe there's this different way of being human because this worked for a time, but it's not working for us anymore. Why? Why? because they had this idea of who was clean or unclean, who was in or out. And the idea of it is beautiful, right? But what it led to, Jesus pointing out to all these people, and saying, look how this system has, funny, only kept these people included. These people are benefiting from it, while all these other people for generations have been pushed aside and said, they're out, they're unclean. And Jesus goes, I don't know, maybe we can do something a little bit better. And what he says, he, he refers a couple times, he says there's this coming wrath, He's talking to these people. He's like, there's this coming wrath. And he's not talking about, like, hell. He's not talking about uh, some future place of where you're going to be like, nobody beats the devils. It's not anything about that. The coming wrath is saying everything you're investing in, how you ordered humans, how you ranked humans, it's not ever going to get you what you want. It never does. And, like, an example is in 66 CE, um, uh, there was a group of people who said, hey, we're this, these Hebrew people, and it's time for us to flex our muscles. And even well before Jesus, in the time of Jesus, they wanted Jesus to lead a revolution by strength, with political strength, by violence. And Jesus, I don't know if you've ever read Jesus before, he's like, hey, violence, not a fan, right? He, he was a very nonviolent person. And it, not just because it was hip to say, because he heard we are, the people wanted power back. They wanted the mandate from heaven, which God said to Abraham, you're going to be a light to all nations. And they said, yeah, it's about time because they are occupied. They have Rome. They have the emperor all over them. And so they're like, we need to show that we are strong, that we are important. We have to go back to who we were. So in 66 CE, um, they finally do it. And they organize and they rally and they start um, pushing back against Rome. And Rome says, hey, do you remember this boot that's on your throat? (laughs) Yeah, that's us. And they annihilate the Hebrew people. And to prove a point, the emperor takes the stones of the temple that already got ripped down uh, a while before, and they rebuilt it, take the stones, and they grinded all the dust so there's nothing left of the temple to prove a point of saying, we're stronger. That's the coming wrath. You want to go this way, and you think the way to this is violence, never going to get what you want. When we try moving towards this system that we think is going to benefit us by making more money, being funnier, having a better body, whatever you think, uh, having a bigger house, right? In the way you want to get that and saying, then I'm good, then you've already missed the plot. Then you're already going to experience hellish things because it will never, I, I mean, we all know this, right? That it's never going to get you what you want. Like, w- w- but we still like easily slip into that stream. And this is what Jesus does. He comes and reminds us in two different ways. He comes by demonstrating. He comes by doing these healings. He does these big miracles. It's not a party trick. It's a way of pointing to that there's a bigger way of doing life. And he also does it through these parables. We did a whole series on this uh, several months ago, and there were some that we didn't get to that I really wanted to. That's why we're back at it. And the parables is like a story that's meant to elicit uh, emotion. One theologian said it's like getting like a, a, what do you call those, flash grenades, like a light grenade, a sound grenade, and you throw it in a room, Right, and also goes off, and then people are like, what in the world just happened? And they're disorientated, right? And they're looking around. That's what Jesus does. Like he throws a little grenade in Rome. room, he goes, Hey, buckle up, right? And so this is what we're talking about today, of how this ranking system doesn't really work. And it's called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's in Luke 16. There was once a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption, a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, has been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his horse. Then he died. The poor man was taken up to the angels to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in hell and in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus on his lap. He called out, Father Abraham and many sons. And he doesn't say that. Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you got the good things and Lazarus got the bad things. It's not like that here. Here, here he's counseled and you are tormented. Besides, in all these matters, there's a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you even if he wanted to, nor can anyone cross over to, from you to us. The rich man said, let me ask, Father, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so he can tell them the score and warn them so they won't end up, end up here in this place of torment. Or Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back to them from the dead, they would change their ways. Abraham replied, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. So this is a brilliant story, right? There's a a, a couple things. First, um, I'm not going to do a deep dive in this. We're going to do a series on this in the fall, uh, all about hell, right? Because I get a lot of questions about hell. Um, this is not a theological argument for the existence of hell, and here's here's why. Um, this is a story, right? It's an actual story, and to take like facts from a story from a fable, right, would not be doing the Bible or literature justice. In the same way, in Genesis, in the beginning, uh, the story of creation, right, that was a fable. That was just a story for you to say, hey, Earth was created in six days, which, if you believe that, it's totally fine. We end up the same place. But to say that's a scientific fact from a fable, you'd say, well, that's not how stories work, right? And so you, the people who have argued for this, um, saying, well, we can prove hell exists because of this story. Well, in this story, then, uh, people in hell can talk to Abraham and, and, and then, like, request things. Like, that's just not how it works. What Jesus is doing is taking this idea that was common. Well, not, not common. In, in Hebrew faith, a really Hebrew folklore, it's called shuh- shuhul. No, I'm saying it wrong. Um, Shoal. Sheol, sheol that's what it is right and it's this idea of a place of of, that could be something like darkness and in the folklore it goes where everybody goes there for a time the good and the bad some people believe only people who are quote-unquote bad go there well the people who wrote the new testament uh interpreted in greek and they put the word hades in there right no yeah ghana no yes yeah what Gehenna, that's what it is, <laughs> all right, Which is a, uh, their interpretation from w- what they're reading from Greek mythology, which is a story, right? And even in there, in the Greek mythology, there's like this big giant dog that like helps judge you on what place you're going to go to. Clearly, the people who are interpreting this and the people when Jesus is telling this is a story to prove a point. And what's the point? There's someone that goes to, uh, to Abraham's lap, which is like the bee's knees, right? I'm not a big fan of sitting in people's laps, so it doesn't really work for me, but go for it, right? Um, someone goes there, and then someone else goes to the opposite, a place of torment. And why do they go there? Why does this rich man go to this place? It's not because he doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? It's not because he said some prayers. It's not because um, he didn't say the right things or do the right things. It wasn't because he was clean or unclean. The reason he's there, according to this story, is that He never saw the humanity in somebody. He didn't see the humanity in Lazarus. Lazarus was just some dude who's there, who maybe threw some food to, maybe it was just some kind of project, but clearly he was, like, way beneath him. Right? And Jesus is saying, if you want to experience hellish things, strip the humanity from people. And we can see this because he, even in this place of, uh, of hell, he still is trying to tell Lazarus what to do. He still believes that he can, he deserves um, Lazarus to bring him water, right? Because that's what you do when you're number one. That's what you do when you're egocentric. That's what you do when you believe you or your people or your friends or your church or your country, whatever it is, is the best. Everyone else has to bow to you. Even in hell, you're still number one. Like, have you met these people before? <laughs> I guess I met them, Right. Uh, these are the kind of people uh, who, like, walk down the sidewalk and just expect everyone else to move for them. You ever seen that guy before? It's the kind of guy who sits down on a bench and there's, like, room for four and they put their legs way out, all right? And then, they're like, this is how I sit so everyone else has to walk around because we don't want to touch your legs, dude. Like, put them together, right? Right? These are the people who don't ask questions because they just expect everyone else to ask them questions because they're a big, important person. And everything's revolved. the conversation, what we talk about, what we do, where we're going, revolves around my ego. It's easy to fall into this. Like I'm making fun of, clearly other people do that. We all do this. When we let our ego win, we think clearly my pleasure, clearly my uh, job trajectory, clearly my education is way more important than someone else's. And what Jesus is trying to say is like when you rank people this way, that's where hell is. And there is... There is people living in hellish experiences all around our neighborhoods. All around. And we can do something about it. Because what we can do, imagine this. The guy is experiencing hell because he cannot love his neighbor as he loves himself. To love your neighbor as you love yourself is not just throwing a couple bucks or throwing some money or some food at Lazarus. That is very different. Because we like to think, we like to think, well, if we just do better things, the world will be better. And the truth is like, No, that's like retweeting, Black Lives Matter, and you're like, yeah, see, I'm an ally. Got it, right? I'm anti-racist. That's like um, throwing some money at the food shelf and say, of course I am pro, like, what would that be? Helping hungry people get food, all right? And I was like, I'm not pro-hunger. I'm pro-non-hunger, right? That's like coming and listening to um, uh, uh, Kathy when she came to speak, right, about how we can partner I'm um, in schools and we can partner with queer people, like put queer people and trans people's needs over the comfort of adults. Listen to that and say, wow, I feel really motiva- motivated by that and say, oh, of course I'm an ally to the queer and trans community. Like that's, in theory, in, we should be, do things. But if you still can't see the humanity and the people around you, then you're just playing a game. You're really just trying to convince people, no, I'm a really good person, I'm up at top, I'm up here. What you need to do, and the only way to get through it to get to this place, is you have to die. And this man, this rich man, never died. Even though he's in death, he's still being held of this ranking of who's human and who's not. There's a book by um, Rob Bell um, called Love Wins. Anyone have, has anyone read it? Yeah, it's wonderful. If you, it's all about like, what hell could be, what is hell now, what could hell be later, but ultimately, what, a, what does ultimate love divine look like? If you've not read it, I highly recommend it. Here's what he says about the rich man. The rich man is dead, but he hasn't died. He's in Hades, but he, still, but he still hasn't died the kind of death that actually brings life. He's alive in death, but in profound torment, because he's living with the realities of not properly dying the kind of death that actually leads a person into the only kind of life that's worth living. Love that. I read it, paused, processed it for a while of how easy it is to think that I'm really living. Like I, I feel like I, I'm going after this joy, I'm going after this freedom, I'm going after this inclusion, I'm going after this liberation, I'm going after whatever it is. But when you go about it in that ranking, when you go about it of putting yourself clearly always ahead, you never get what you want, and that's hell. Keep expecting, it's finally gonna pay off. Man, the the way I've parented, the way that I'm uh, a a jerk to my friends, or I guess you wouldn't call yourself a jerk, the way I interact with my friends, the way I spend my money, the way I, whatever it might be, you think it's going to pay off, it's going to pay off, and it rarely does. We have to die to what culture says is important. We have to kill our ego. We have to surrender this idea of I'm good when, and when you do that, it opens up this whole new way of being, this whole new way of life, this whole new idea of what love and life can be. And we call this resurrection. That's resurrected life. Resurrection isn't just like we get to go to heaven someday. It's that we get awakened now of where I can actually see my neighbor as myself. And I love this idea. The neighbor can be your enemy. Your neighbor could be someone who politically disagrees with you. Your neighbor could be uh, that kid that, I shouldn't swear, that kid that bothers you a lot, All Right? Right? It might be that coworker that you kind of like, but they warm up fish in the microwave, and you're like, "You're a horrible person, right? Like loving your neighbor says, "I can see myself in you." I, we are deeply connected, and we belong. And this takes work. But when you can not just say you do it, when you actually let it play out, when you embody it, friends, it is the most heaven thing you can do. It's the most freeing thing you can do, because anywhere I go, I shouldn't say anywhere. There's pockets in my life where I can do this, right? And when I, when I can do this, then I can learn from people. I can actually connect with people. I can experience love as I receive from them, as I give it to them. We you have to do it on purpose. So where I leave you is this, right? Two things, quick things. Um, at the end of the story, um, Lazarus, or the rich man asks Lazarus, oh, quick little Bible nerd thing. I think this is the only time in a parable that Jesus gives someone a name. Everyone else, it tells what they were or role. What? Yeah, yeah, it's the only time it's a proper name, right? And it's funny they use Lazarus, which foreshadows possibly when Lazarus rises from the dead, huh? right? Um, but Jesus is telling the story and says, hey, send Lazarus back to my brothers so they learn. And Jesus says, they have Moses, that's the law, and they have the prophets. And uh and if they can't hear that, they're not going to le- believe a resurrected person, a dead man walking. There's no way they're going to believe that. And I was like, if I thought about it, if I was there, I'd be like, um, uh, Jesus over here. Um, long time, first time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would absolutely believe a dead man showing my house and saying, hey, what you're doing, you've got to change some things. I imagine a lot of people in that place they are listening, in that yard or wherever, they would say, no, no, no. I think that would get our attention. And the reason I love this is it's almost like Jesus is demanding people take stock of where they're at, right? Because the rich man's saying, I wish someone had told me. Jesus saying, yeah, yeah, what do you know about the law? What do the prophets really say? And how is it helping you be the fullest person right now? How is it helping you show up? Are you, do you have a Lazarus in your life? Are you walking by people and just rip them from humanity? And he's saying, be aware of where you're at. Is, is this the life that you, that you really, really want? And then also, Jesus is like moments away from being um, not prosecuted, being arrested, and then being executed. For what? For doing the very thing in this parable he's trying to, trying to teach people, of that these are all humans. These are all my brothers. These are all my sisters. These are all my friends. And then three days later, there's resurrection. And imagine if you were part of the original audience and you're going back and thinking, is this the kind of person I want? Do what do I know about prophets? And then hear about Jesus dying and then hearing the story about him coming back would be like, oh, maybe there is a divine love that can transform. And it's when we do that, friends, that we're aware of our bias, we're aware of our judgments, we're aware of the empty things that we're pursuing. That's when we can wake and we can go to the schools. Like, man, I hear stories all the time of, of queer students Where walking one, one where a kid would bring their clothes to school, and change in the bathrooms because their parents wouldn't let them dress the way they want to dress, right? And that kid got picked on, all the time, right? And he's they are just trying to live their life, but walking around worried: Am I going to get pushed? Am I going to get mocked? Am I going to get kicked? And and not only that's at home, but in school, of all the places, that's hell we can do something about that right but if we can't see the humanity of that student there's people who are hungry right we can actually do something there's like low-income housing is just an absolute mess right now right we that's hell i've never had to worry about where i'm gonna sleep not once never in my life my mom made me go to the basement in a room that had no windows but that's okay mom thank you i love you all right Uh, (laughs) just had to worry about being trapped by fires but that's okay um um, oh, man, I threw you on the high, Sorry, Mom. <laughs> if you're watching, my mom is right here. So, yeah. Um, uh, what am I going? There's, 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 there's hellish things all around us, and we have the power to change them. And it's not just doing stuff. It has to start by us dying and living in a resurrected life that the actual love can transform. So I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, Close your eyes. Look me in my eyes. We close, Mike. You can look me at me. All right. You're welcome. Uh, if, but what I want you to do is, as I'm praying, is just think through where, where maybe are you judging people? Where maybe might you have like this like class or this ranking and order system? And if things get dialed up, like think about it and think about maybe how you could die to that and move in a place of resurrection. Let's pray. So, God, we love you, and I I thank you that there's no, um, that there's no shame coming from you, there's no judgment coming from you, as we try exploring what it means to be ourselves, and that we all have bias, we all have judgment. We all have some level of racism in us. Whatever it might be, we have these biases. We have these judgments. I ask God that you will just dial those up. And that this week, maybe through a book or a movie or a conversation or a real-life interaction, that that bias will be exposed, that we don't just become ignorant, continue to be ignorant and just bury a head in their sand. Because if we don't, then we're missing out on liberation. And I pray that you would use us to be able to see those hellish experiences that are happening around us in our neighborhoods. Instead of just waiting for other people or other agencies or other groups to do something about it, that we can begin to see the humanity, to see the divine in them. And that we'll move towards them. And with that divine love can come life and transformation. And I thank you, God, that you have shown us what that looks like through the person of Jesus. So help us die Each day, so we can experience resurrection each day. And we love you. Amen. All right, friends, well, thank you for joining me, or joining us, and those watching online, thank you. If you have questions, you want to talk about hell, big fan of talking about hell or other things, Um, I'd love to connect with you. Thank you.